0: You know, last week when we were covering the two chapters that we were able to cover, I loved it because we got to see the heart and the desire of King David. Now again, King David, I mean, he had everything going for him. And uh, it just seemed like, like things were just going good for him. And I love the fact that as King David was resting from his enemies, and God had promised him that he would have rest for, from his enemies for a time, um, and, from, and for that matter, for the, from the enemies of the nation of Israel. I love the fact that his thoughts were on the things of God. <clears throat> I think oftentimes our hearts and our minds are on the things of God when, when it just seems like everything's falling down around us. And it's like, okay, now, now it's serious. Now we have to focus on God because my life is not where it's supposed to be. All these little things are happening in my life. Oh, I know why. Because I haven't been in the presence of God. So now that things aren't like gelling and things are, I better be in the presence of God because that's where I should be. And then things get better. And then it's like, we forget about God and we kind of go do our own little thing sometimes. And I love the fact that here we have king david and it tells us that he had rest from all his enemies and um and things were going good really good and they were chill you know he and and his thoughts were still on the things of god he wasn't just like oh everything's okay i can go do whatever i want to go do Somehow, in this time where he is reflecting and taking inventory of his life, he wants to somehow bless God. His heart and his motives were in the right place. His desire was to do something for God. As he was taking inventory of where he was at, he says, Man, here I am living in this luxurious place, in the lap of luxury. God has blessed me so much, and and here the the ark of God, the presence of God, is in this curtain. And so he thought, well, I want to do something for God, and I will build him a place for the ark of the covenant. And it's interesting because he gets the go-ahead from the prophet of God, but God really hadn't given the prophet the the permission to give him the go-ahead. And then he goes and has to go and tell him, well... This is what God says. Thanks, but no thanks. And then God turns around and begins to remind David everything that he has ever done for him. First of all, he says, David, I've never asked for anything. And I love that about God. Because he loves us with unconditional love and he never expects love in return. Now, should we? Absolutely. We should love him because he first loved us. But he died, the Bible says, while we were still sinners. And he had no guarantee that we would turn for him, to him or not because we have that free will. And so he never had told David, hey man, how come you, you're living in the place of luxury and you haven't done anything for me on my behalf? He hadn't done anything like that. And so he, he reminds him of everything he had already done for David, where he had taken him from, what he was doing for David in the present tense, and what he would do for him in the future. And this future tense was not just, let me tell you what I'm going to do for you in your lifetime. He said, let me tell you what I'm going to do for you for your descendants, for posterity, man. Let me, let me just even take it beyond there. Your kingdom will last forever. It would be an everlasting kingdom. And he was prophesying about the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who would be called the son of David, who would sit on the throne of David and rule and reign for all eternity. And so it's like David was just blown away. And upon hearing all of these things, David could not help but worship God in humility And, you know, as I was thinking about what what we were teaching about last week and just kind of diving into this and just kind of revamp, or not revamping, but revisiting what happened last week in the prayer of David, I just thought, man, Lord, oftentimes, again, when we're hurting, we're like on our face, we're like on our knees, and we're like begging you. And yet, when you remind us of all that you've done for us, it should bring us to our knees, it should bring us to our face. And in humility, thank God. And we got to see and we got to hear one of David's prayers. And and to be quite honest with you, I know I've read it a lot of times, but I've never had studied it the way I did. And It was such an example for me, and I think it should be an example for us. Because no matter where you come from, where you are at at today, what will happen to you in the future? That prayer that was in chapter 7 could be a prayer that we could pray always. And we should pray something like that. Every day we should pray that. Because it was such a humbling prayer to see where David was at, where God had taken him from, and how he was just so thankful. The Bible tells us that we are to come before him with thanksgiving, with adoration and praise. Because if you don't know how to praise Jesus, man, go to that, go to that chapter, go to that prayer, and just learn that. Learn the, the verbiage that he uses, you know, not that you could mimic him, but that it would be solidified in your own heart of how you are to worship Jesus for all that he has done in your life. And we also got to see in the following chapter, in chapter 8, we got to see how David went and took ground for for not just his kingdom and for the nation of Israel because he went and took more, more land. But to me, as I was looking at that, I was going, he was out taking ground for the kingdom of heaven. He was out taking ground for the kingdom of God like we should every day. We should be wanting to take ground for the kingdom. To go into even enemy territory and be a light to them. To to show people, hey, I I am out here putting myself out here and I am here for you and to pray for you and to minister to you and to just take more souls for the kingdom of God. That should be our heart. And David was a good example of that because even though he was taking ground from the enemy, he was actually doing This to 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 gather the resources that were in those places to eventually build the temple of God. And so all of this was for a purpose. And so we are in 2 Samuel chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read the whole chapter, 13 verses. Now David said Is there still anyone who is left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Maker, the son of... Uh, Emiel in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Maker the son of Amiel uh, from Lodabar. Now when Mophibosheth the son of Jonathan the son of Saul had come To David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mophibosheth. And he answered, Here is your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul your grandfather. And you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? And the king said to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's son all that belonged to Saul and and to all his house. You, therefore, and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. For Mephibosheth had uh, the, the, your master's son shall eat bread at my table always. Now Zeba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Zeba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king has commanded his servants, so will your servant do. For Mophibosheth said to the king, As for Mophibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. Mophibosheth had a son by the name whose name was Micah, and all who dwell in the ha- in the house of Ziba were servants of Mophibosheth. So Mophibosheth dwelt in jerusalem and he ate continually at the king's table and he was lame in both his feet whoa that's a lot of big name like mofibosheth that's that that is a popular name in this chapter and one that you've got to get to know (laughs) if you're going to read it out loud but going back to the first four verses of chapter 9 Again, David is in a place where where he has been taking inventory of his life. He has taken land. He, He is at rest, basically, right here. And it says that David said, Is there still someone left in the house of David? Now, as David begins to make this statement to those who he is talking to, and more than likely he is talking to his administration from the previous chapter, from verses 15, 16, 17, and 18, because it tells us that he kind of set up an administration for his kingdom. And so more than likely, they are his advisors, they are, they are his cabinet, if you will. And so as he is, you know, meeting with them, he says, is there still someone left of the house of David? Now, they, they, they probably thought that he was asking this question so that they could go and have them killed, maybe. You know maybe he's finally going to go do what a king is supposed to do when he is installed and that is king kill the other king's family everybody involved in that family because they could be a threat to your kingdom and so it was normal when another king came into being even from their own family sometimes they'd kill off their brothers because they didn't want nobody threatening their kingdom And so especially if another kind of dynasty was going to take over, another family, when they were going to take over, it was just normal procedure. Hey, go gather up everybody from the other king's kingdom so that we can kill them off. Um, That's what normally took place. And usually it took place right away. Well, some years have passed here. David has been king for several years at this point. And I'm sure some in the administration were thinking, well, it's about time you get around to killing all these people off. Again, because they could threaten our kingdom and our livelihood and the things that we were doing. Now, I'm sure they were all shocked when he finished the statement that he was making when he says that I may show them kindness. Kindness that I may show the kindness for Jonathan's sake. But then again, as I thought about that, that they may have been shocked by that, I, I thought maybe they weren't so shocked being around David for as long as they've been around David, and they probably just thought, David, 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 you're too nice of a king. You're supposed to go kill people. David, come on, David. Everybody's going to walk all over you if, you're, if you continue to be a nice guy. You've got to do something that's crazy, that's normal. Instead of saying stuff like that, David, if you just told us to go kill him, kill, we, we would go take care of it. No big deal. Nothing, nothing would be out of the ordinary here. But if you remember a while back in, chapter, in 1 Samuel chapter 20, Back then, when David and Jonathan were like besties, um, they had made a covenant together with one another. Now, David wants to hold to that covenant. And this is what, what took place back in Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 14 to 16. And, they, and Jonathan is speaking, and it says, And you shall not only show me kindness of the Lord while I still live. That I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of your enemies, uh, of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. So, in other words, You're going to take care of this or else God's going to require this of you and your enemies will overtake you. And so David is all in with this covenant. He loved Jonathan. And so he was willing and and, and ready to, to, to just take care of this covenant. Now, at this point in David's life now, he is sitting pretty. He has everything going for him. Everything has fallen into place. It has probably been over 25 years since he had made that covenant with Jonathan. It has been about 15 years since Jonathan died. <laughs> and I'm thinking, who keeps promises that long, right? You know, who, who does that, you know? Isn't there like a statue of limitation when it comes to covenants like this? You know, it's like, David, nobody probably even remembers that you have made a covenant with Jonathan so long ago. It was just you and him, unless he said something and he said something. Probably nobody else knew that you guys had this special covenant together to take care of one another's family, basically, if and when something happened to them. And so who keeps this kind of promise for so long? But here's the thing, (laughs) David had nothing to prove to anybody, to nobody. He did not have to do any of this because, again, probably nobody even knew. He was the king. He could do whatever he wanted at this point. He he didn't have to answer to anybody except for the fact that David knew God. David knew God. Except for the fact that, that David desired to be in the presence of God. David wanted to be obedient to God. He knew what he had said 25 years ago. He knew that even when he died 15 years ago, that covenant had not been broken. David was not looking for a loophole to say, it's been so long, Lord, and nobody really knows. And I think oftentimes in our lives, we make promises to one another, but we live in an age right now where promises don't mean a lot. <laughs> because if all of a sudden it's like, well, I promised to be with you, and I promised this, I promised that, I promised that. And then when times get tough and you're going, oh, my heart's just not in it anymore. And people oftentimes, man, if you use that little phrase, well, my heart, you know, my heart's just not into it. It's like, oh, well, if your heart tells you that you can't keep your promise anymore. Well, who's, who's to argue with your heart, right? Because again, people on a whim, because now they've, they, they've decided they don't want to keep this promise, even though they promised it because they have a change of heart. It must be okay. And yet here we have David who has kept this promise. And, 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 and if you remember the story, I mean, Saul had made life miserable for David. And at any of that time, David could easily have said, you know what? Forget this promise, Lord. You know what's going on in my life. They're not treating me fairly. My heart has truly changed here, Lord. <laughs> I am on the run and I should not have to keep this covenant. And you understand, right, God? So it's between me and you. And how often do we do stuff like that? When God's going, but, but you, you, you said, and you're going, but God, you know me. I would have done it gladly if they would have treated me right. If everything would have gone according to plan, but look at, look at the situation. You see, David knew God. He, knew, he, he wanted to be in the presence of God. He was so grateful for everything that God had done for him. And, and, and then, on top of all that, David had experienced the grace of God in such a powerful way. And now, at this point in his life, he is at a place where he has been taking inventory of his whole life. And he's going, Lord, I want, you've given me so much grace. I want to show that grace to somebody else. I want to be able to pour that grace out to other people. And he is in the position right now to be able to do that. And so he says, I want to show kindness to the house of, or, or to, um, for Jonathan's sake. And that word kindness means loving kindness, steadfast love. It, it, it has to do with grace and mercy, faithfulness, goodness, devotion. Now again, David had every right to get rid of the king's family, the old king's family. And nobody would have batted an eye not whatsoever if he would have done that. He would have been justified. Instead of showing kindness, if he showed justice in this way, in this this situation, he would have been okay. And nobody would have said anything. King Saul had started making life miserable for for David not long after this covenant was made. And for about 10 years, David had been on the run because of um, the situation happening, and that's when about they made this covenant. And David could have ignored this covenant, but this is what grace is, guys. When we understand what God has done on our behalf, and he has commanded us to show that same kind of kindness to other people. This is grace. So the question is asked, is there still anyone out there? Now, here, here's a side, side note, sidebar. His wife is still part of Jonathan, or, or is Jonathan's sister. <laughs> and you know, last time we 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 saw that, that he wasn't showing too much kindness to her, but he's asking outside of this: Is there still any? So he asks the question, and somebody mentions Zeba's name, and so Zeba is brought to David, and David asks him Zeba if there's someone of the house of Saul that he could bless for, um, that he could show kindness. And 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 look what he says this time: He says that I may show. The kindness of God. The kindness of God. You see, it wasn't David's kindness here that he's talking about. Just, just like it's not your kindness or my kindness that we are to extend to other people, it's God's kindness. It's God's kindness because I put it that way that, that it's not mine or yours or even David's kindness because oftentimes we tend to show kindness to someone when we, um, I mean, I know we could like, oh no, it's pure kindness out of my, the goodness of my heart. But oftentimes we show kindness if we're going to get something in return. <laughs> if there's a string at that. I will show you this kindness. I will do this for you. And I will continue to lavish you with this kindness. But you better reciprocate it at one point, right? Oftentimes when it's my kindness, when, when, when it's up to me, I I want something back. And that's why it's interesting that he says, I want to show the kindness of God here. You see, because the kindness of God does not expect anything in return. And when you're able to show a kindness to someone and, and there is no desire of any payback, then you know that God's working in you and through you when, when you're okay if they don't, because when people go, well, you've been so nice to those people and they've just kind of continued to treat you like awful. And you're going, that's all right. It's okay. And they're going, well, that's not, just not fair. And there's people they're even nice Christian people, they're going, well, that's just not fair. You shouldn't have to put up with that. And you're going, but, but it's okay. God had me show His kindness. Well, they're just going to walk all over you if you keep that up. You see, again, the kindness of God is different than our kindness because God, he does not expect anything in return. And David is showing the kindness of God to someone who will never be able to pay him back. They just can't. You see, this is where grace shines the brightest. True grace can never be paid back. True kindness, God's kind of kindness, can never be paid back. If this kind of kindness could be paid back, then it's not grace anymore. It's a debt that you're paying back. Somebody did something for you, then you've done something for them. They've scratched your back, now you can scratch their back. See, if somebody scratches your back and you can never ever scratch their back like that, that's, that's the kindness. That's grace. They're showing you grace. They're blessing you, and they're not expecting you to bless them back. That's true grace. It says, there is, the Erzeba says, there is a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. And I could imagine when he said, there's a son of Jonathan who is left, and he is lame in his feet. I'm sure that just kind of brought a joy to David's heart. Oh, it happens to be Jonathan's son. Now, it tells us that he is lame in his feet. And a couple chapters back, a few chapters back, in chapter 2 of 2 Samuel, verse 4, chapter 4, this was like a little parenthesis in that chapter, that verse, where it says, Jonathan's son, or Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled, and it happened as she made haste to flee that she fell, and he became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. So back in chapter 4, we just get those little parentheses about Mephibosheth, that when the news came that his dad, that his grandpa, had both died in this battle in Gilboa, that the nurse, she knew. She knew if they are dead, then we are all dead. Again, that's what normally happened. Whoever's going to reign will kill the rest of the family. And so she feared, not only for her life probably, but for the life of the, the, the child that she was taking care of. And so here as they escape, somehow she drops this poor little five-year-old boy and and breaks his leg or legs, and they are never set properly. And from here on out, from five years old on, he is now disabled. Mephibosheth, at this moment in time, in chapter 9, he is probably about 20, 21, 25 years old, somewhere in between there. It has not been that long. David told Mophibosheth, or was told, where where is Mophibosheth? And the place is called, called Lodabar, which means no pastor, barren, a place of emptiness and dissatisfaction. And I would say that Lodabar would be the opposite of grace. <laughs> and that's where Mofibosheth has been living for about 15, 16, 17 years. That's, that's been his life. He, he is now lame. He doesn't have much. He doesn't have his grandfather. He doesn't have his father. He has this nurse that drops him. <laughs> you know, all this stuff. And, and, and there, there he is out on the other side of the Jordan towards the Sea of Galilee. He is far away from Jerusalem and he probably has resigned himself to live there. And so in verses 5 through 8, it says, Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Maker, um, the son of Amiel from Debar. Again, I could only imagine that Mophibosheth had resigned himself to live a life of emptiness and dissatisfaction. Being crippled and all, I'm sure the hopelessness that he felt. He, he just felt worthless. He felt like, who, who am I from here on out? I have nothing. I, I, I was the king's grandson. My dad would have been king. I probably would have been king after that. But here am I in Lodabar, and I have I am crippled and I don't have nothing to to show for it. Nothing. So can you imagine when they come knocking on his door in the name of the king? He's probably thinking, feet don't fail me. Come on in. Come on in. Come on in. (laughs) He can't even run. He can't can't escape because he's going, the king? Like King David. They're knocking at my door. Can you imagine? I mean, who knows what he has heard about King David? Well, maybe if he had heard something from, from, from somebody who was more on the Jonathan side, they're probably thinking David is the best. But if he had heard something from the other side, maybe from Ziba who was Saul's servant, he's probably thinking, oh, man, your grandfather hated David. David David was always trying to take over the kingdom. He blah, 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 this and that. And so who knows what he has heard all these years. I mean, he could be full of fear or he could be full of anger or both. But he is being sent for and he is going to be brought to the king. And justice would, be, justice would be that he would meet his end as he stood before the king. Because the king would be justified in killing him even after all these years. It would be justified. So whether he was fearful or angry, he knew, as we, we, we are told here, that when he came to him, that he fell on his face and prostrated. Prostrated? prostrated himself before him. And so whether he was angry or fearful, he knew that he had to fall on his face before the Lord or before the king because he knew that his life was in the king's hands. And it's almost like now he is at the mercy of the king. Whatever you want to do to me. Then David said, Mephibosheth, is that you? David had never really met Mofaboshet because he was already on the run when all this happened. When he was born, and then when David died. And I'm wondering if, as I was looking at this, going, that David looks at him, he says, "You look like your dad." You know this this kind of like, "You're my best friend's son." <laughs> Because I, I could only imagine that the tone was not Mofiboshef. It was more like, is that you, Mo? <laughs> Little Mo. Mophibosheth, is that you? I can only imagine that it was like love and compassion coming from David because his best friend's son is, is before him. And I like that 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 here, man, what can he do? He says, Here is your servant. As crippled as this man was, with nothing of worth to truly offer the king, he offers himself as a servant. (laughs) There's something truly humbling here that's going on, that's happening in this moment. Again, Mophibosheth, I mean, what was going through his mind My grandfather was the first king of Israel. My dad. (laughs) My dad would have been king of Israel. He would have made a great king. And I would be next in line to be king. But what the king of Israel has before him right now is a man who can't even stand on his own two feet. I'm thinking, man, that is humbling for this young man, Mephibosheth. And instead of the king throwing this broken man out (laughs) who has nothing to offer him, the king is going to show him kindness. The kind of kindness that will never be able to be paid back. He shows him grace. (laughs) This is grace right here, man, to the fullest. And I don't know if you can put yourself in in the place of Mophibosheth. When the, when the king of kings, you know, <laughs> calls your name and he's calling you to come to him. And honestly, man, we have nothing to offer him. <laughs> I don't know what he got from you, but I know what he got from me when, when I came to him. He got the raw end of the deal. <laughs> there was no good in me. There's nothing that I could offer him. There's nothing that I could say, man, you're getting a good prize here, buddy picking me? <laughs> you don't know what I could do. There was nothing, man. I was a broken man before the Lord. I had nothing to offer him and he, he was offering to pay everything for me. He was showing me grace and I could not pay anything back. Now when grace is shown in this way, it brings forth humility, guys. It should bring forth humility it it is meant this grace it is meant to be to blow us away because we can never quite understand why is God so good to you why is he so good to me should blow us away so that one could never ever be able to say I deserve his kindness I truly deserve his kindness (laughs) Mephibosheth hears the words, do not fear. And the exchange that happens here in, chat, in verse 7 is an amazing exchange that happens as he is, he is bowing down before him. He says, here am I, your servant. And David says, Don't, do not fear. I will show, surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. I will restore to you all the land of of, your, of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. <laughs> that is grace, man. That is grace. Don't fear. Mophibosheth has nothing to offer the king, and the king offers him everything. Everything. Everything that belonged to his grandfather, it's It's yours. You see, David inherited everything from the king. When he took over as king, when they anointed him as king, everything that was king Saul's was his, everything. He could kill it, he could destroy it, he could run it off, he could do whatever he's thinking wanted to do with all of that. And yet, here he gets to a point where he says, I want to give it all back to you. I want to bless you so much that you, will have, you, you won't ever be able to pay me back. It was all mine. I'm giving it to you. This is grace, guys. I'm giving you everything and more. David here fulfills his covenant that he had made with Jonathan. And Mephibosheth is the one that receives the blessings of this grace. Wow. The covenant was made with Jonathan, but Mephibosheth, he gets everything he's a beneficiary of this grace of this kindness of this favor and it is shown to him with without regard of worth or merit in other words he was getting what he did not deserve grace that's grace guys you see justice in this instance in this situation justice would have been death because you belong to the old king that would have been justice Mercy would have been in this situation, you won't die, but you will live in Lodabar for the rest of your life. You will have emptiness and dissatisfaction for the rest of your life, but you're not going to die. That's mercy. I'm dropping all the charges, but I'm letting, letting you live. Grace in this situation is you will get everything back everything and on top of that you will eat at my table continually that is grace guys justice is getting what you deserve mercy is not getting what you deserve and grace is getting what you don't deserve that is grace man and that's what we have been shown guys justice is that we would have had to pay for our own sins and ended up in hell That would have been justice for me and you. But mercy is, Jesus comes on the scene and he says, I will pay the price for you so that you can have life. And grace says, I adopt you into my family and you will inherit everything that Jesus owns is yours. That's grace, guys. Isn't that amazing? Amazing grace, man. That... That, that saved a, a wretch like you. because You're a wretch, not me, but you're a wretch. <laughs> he saved a wretch like me, like you. And he's given you everything, and you didn't deserve it. Not one bit. In verse 8, the Amplified puts it like this. And the crippled bowed himself and said, What is your servant? that you should look upon, a, upon such a dead dog as I. <laughs> the cripple bowed himself down and says, what is your servant? Why do you treat me so good? Why do you love me so much? This verse shows humility <laughs> that comes from grace. Can you imagine if Mophibosheth When David says, hey, I'm going to give you everything and more. Can you imagine if Mophibosheth would have said, show you right. Yeah, that's right. And I deserve much more and I deserve your throne. (laughs) Can you imagine? (laughs) Yeah, justice at that moment is like, well, forget you. You're lame. Like literally. (laughs) I'm bad. But can you imagine if he would have said, I deserve all that and much more. But you see, this grace brought about humility. Guys, if we can understand grace for what it is, we would never, ever feel like God owes us anything Just the fact that he says, hey, I'm dropping all the charges. It's like, I'm good with mercy. I'm good with mercy. But he says, no, Zeke, I want to adopt you into my family. I want you to be called one of my sons. And on top of that, Zeke, guess what you're going to get? You're going to be a co-heir with Jesus. Everything he gets, you get too. (laughs) Lord, I I don't deserve that. I don't deserve any of that. The fact that you're giving me salvation is good enough, Lord. Anything above that, man, that is grace. That is pure grace. You see, if we ever feel, if we ever think, or if we ever say, well, God hasn't, or God didn't, well, I can't believe God let that, then we truly don't understand grace. If we ever think that we could tell God what's up, to say, show sure you right, God. I can't believe you let this happen in my life, man. I don't understand grace. See, whatever happens to me from here on out, <laughs> it's like, it's okay, God. I don't care what you do. You've given me salvation, you've given me inheritance. Maybe not here on earth, but for, for the rest of my for eternity, I get it all. The sufferings that are going on right now, not worthy to be compared, Roman says, to the glory that you've given to me through your grace. Nothing, nothing on earth right here should matter. We are dead dogs. We are dead dogs that deserve to be discarded and be done away with and buried. That's what we are. But he has given us life. And the Bible says, and that much more abundant. (laughs) That's grace. Man, to understand his grace like that, people. Man, what an amazing picture of Jesus that we have in David here. That he is at a place that he's going... I just want to bless you. I want to give you everything. In verses 9 through, through to the end of the chapter where the king calls Ziba Saul's servants and he says, hey, I have given your master's son all that belonged to Saul. Everything. For some reason, however it was working out that Ziba was taking care of, he says, all that goes to, to your master's son. It goes to Mephibosheth. Everything. You guys go and work the fields and, and, and bring in the harvest for your master. And you're going, but wait a minute. He's going to eat over here. Well, I'm sure all that that was coming here was going to go to him. But you take care of all of that, Zeba. You and your guys take care of all those things. And so in this, in this grace that he is being shown, we, show, we see that God provides through his grace. God's provision is exemplified right here when David says, hey, Ziba, take care of everything so your master's son doesn't worry about a thing because I've given him all the land back. We're going to find out that Ziba, I think his name means snake. Um, He's going to kind of mess him around. It doesn't really, but it's like he's going to be a snake later on. But be that as may, we'll get there in a few chapters. But we see that the grace that is shown here shows us the provision of God. And then Mephibosheth is basically adopted into the king's family. And so he's going to show him his kindness by saying, you will eat at my table always. You will never miss a meal. You will be like one of my sons at my table from here on out, Mephibosheth. You see, it wasn't a one-time deal that he says, hey, I'm going to show you kindness for a day. You're going to be like a king for a day. Yep, you're going to live in my house for a day. But then I'm going to send you back to Debar, right? It's like, no, no more Debar for you. No more emptiness, no more dissatisfaction. I will fill you to overflowing and you will be so satisfied with everything that's in the king's palace. And isn't that grace, guys? Isn't that grace? That that he just lavishes us with grace continually? The Bible tells us in in, in Romans um, 8, 20, where where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. And that word much more means super abounds. Where where, where sin abounds, if, if, if sin is this podium here, grace covers this room. There's way more grace than there is sin but oftentimes we just kind of focus on the sin and god's going man we're sin abounded grace abounded much more there's so much more grace no more load to bar for you it's not a one-time deal it is a continual thing and this is where we get to be at as believers god did not just save you and say okay you're in he said let me bless you let me pour my grace into you let me show you how much grace I have for you. Because every time you mess up, you're still my son. Every time you, you go and, and jack up your life, guess what? My life, my, my, my grace is still there. Now again, grace should not lead us to go do stupid things. Grace should lead us to repentance. We should not use our grace to, to go and, and sin. It should humble us that even when you don't want to sin and you sin, God's grace covers you. Grace is not about, oh, let me go do whatever I want to do because guess what? God will forgive me. No, it should, it should break us. It should humble us. Ephesians, if you want to turn to Ephesians, beautiful, beautiful portion of scripture that just kind of talks about this, this grace, this story In in Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 6, but man, we could have read the whole chapter, Ephesians chapter 1, basically, because there's so much there. Verses 3 to 6, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us In Him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blemish before Him in love, having predestinated us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His will, of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. Turn over to chapter 2, verse 4 through 10. But God, it's interesting because right before that he tells us, but you were dead in your trespasses, he said, you dead dog. (laughs) But God, in verse 4, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Man, oh man. Guys, this is grace. If if, if you're a Christian today, this is grace. If you're not a Christian today, he wants to show you this grace. He wants to lavish you with this grace because if you're not a Christian, and again, many of you guys have been here for a while, and it's like, I don't know where you're at, but I will throw this out. If you've just been playing a game, then guess what? And you're not a Christian, then you get justice. What's that? Hell. <laughs> That's what you deserve. But he says, I want to show you mercy, I want to drop all the charges. Somebody else will pay the price. And then he says, oh, on top of that, I want you to be my child. And you will live with me forever and inherit all the blessings of Jesus Christ. That is grace, guys. And so I want to offer that to you tonight. If you're a believer and you've just been feeling like, I can't believe God has allowed all these things in my life, then you don't quite understand grace, go back to the grace. Go back to understanding that you deserve nothing, but he has blessed you with salvation and life evermore. Amen. Let's stand as we close in prayer. Jesus, your word tells us that where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that your grace never gets tired. It's never short. It's always in abundance, Lord. Lord, we want your grace to humble us. We want to be able to be in a place where, Lord, we, we, we are not complaining about anything, Lord, because of your grace. Help us to understand that today. That, Lord, we would always know that, God, you are always for us. And you will always pour out your grace upon us. It will never run out. So, Lord, help us to bask in that. Help us to receive that. Help us to walk in it. Lord, I pray that you would help us to show this grace to others, Lord. Because if we've been showed this grace, Lord, who are we to withhold this grace from anybody else, Lord? As David has given us an example, Lord, to be able to show grace to other people, kindness. I pray that you would just convict our hearts that we might be able to do it always, Lord. And never complain about it, Lord, but to always show grace. We thank you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer for anything, guys, if you're...